Are you a healthcare organization struggling to achieve success? What if I told you that success not only depends on strategy, but also on the right mindset? At the Mindset Gap, their team of seasoned consultants understand the critical role mindset plays in achieving organizational excellence by empowering your workforce to think innovatively, embrace change, and adapt to new challenges. So imagine your workplace, one where your employees and patients thrive, where creativity and productivity go hand in hand, and where obstacles become opportunities. Don't let your organization fall into the mindset gap. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential today and email assist at themindsetgap.com with the referral code GENCAN20 to schedule a consultation. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. This is a safe space where we invite healthcare providers to unapologetically be themselves after the working day. My name is Jennifer George, and each week I will connect you with guests and stories that will help transform your stress to success and fulfillment. Are you with me? Grab your drink of choice and let's chat. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jennifer George, and I'm joining you today with a special guest. His name is Randy Cook, and Randy is a physician with over 40 years of clinical experience in vascular surgery. He's an educator, he's a podcast host of the Prescription for Success podcast, and he's an executive physician coach for MD Coaches. And Randy's role now is to basically help guide physicians and other healthcare professionals on navigating their careers and aligning themselves with what fulfills their calling. On this episode, we talk about career change, reflecting on this, why it's okay to experience these feelings sometimes, and how to create our own path that's fulfilling for us and still has the impact that we always imagined we would have. So grab your drink of choice, join us, you don't wanna miss this episode. Hi Randy. Hi there. Hello, how are you today? I am very well. So nice to sort of meet you. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> I'm gradually becoming accustomed to this uh, electronic world. Well, you're podcasting as well, are you not? I am indeed. Yeah. And it's quite successful. I've heard some good things about it. I'm following your podcast on Instagram. And uh, I know that you, you've got some good guests and some great topics. that I have of- really enjoyed it. I wish I could tell you that it was... Uh, a brilliant idea of my own, but uh, it actually was the brainchild of Rhonda Crow, who is my boss and the CEO of MD Coaches. Nice. I've communicated with Rhonda. She's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I can see why you trust her. <laughs> um, so tell me more about you. Tell me more about your story. Uh, I know educationally, clinically, and now career-wise. Well, um, 
I guess, uh, as I often like to put it, we can begin at the beginning. I uh, can't really remember a time when I didn't want to be a physician, except uh, there was a brief period uh, uh, in my late teens where I was uh, a disc jockey on a radio station. And, and that's another story in itself. And we don't really need to spend a lot of time on that. But <laughs> I, I have to admit that I was a little bit uh, uh, enamored and enthralled with uh, working in the world of mass communications. And I thought perhaps that might be uh, the place where I should be. But uh, fortunately, I came to my senses and I got <laughs> back to where I had always intended to be, and, uh, and that is in medicine. And after that, it was uh, sort of a plain vanilla educational uh, track, if you will. Uh, I went to a small undergraduate the liberal arts college that got me into medical school. And uh, uh, after getting my MD degree, I moved on to the Medical College of Georgia for a residency in surgery. And I had quite a variety of different practice experiences, which we can talk about uh, later if you like. But one thing I will mention to you, and I have brought up uh, as a guest on other podcasts, is uh, I, I think the most profoundly important piece of my medical education actually came in the year between my undergraduate degree and getting into medical school. When I worked as an orderly uh, in uh, uh, a huge university hospital in Birmingham, Alabama, oh. and that experience of literally being uh, on the, the lowest rung uh, was really powerful for me. So uh, I, I never, uh, well, I try not to ever uh, overlook that, that piece uh, when somebody asks me about my education, because even though I didn't get uh, academic credit for it, it had a big impact on me. In what way, Randy? Multiple ways. I, I think probably most importantly was if you are the orderly, uh, you are the person that obviously will be tasked with some of the most uh, menial labors uh, in the hospital environment. But the interesting thing is that uh, by being tasked with, with those duties, you are dealing with things uh, that are most important to the patient. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I've actually heard you on your podcast talk about this great thing. I have come onto my shift, uh, which was always the graveyard shift, the night shift, uh, and arrived at, at a patient's bedside to find them uh, lying in a pool of stool, uh, which had been uh, neglected. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, you get right to work and uh, you clean that up and uh, you get the patient tidy and spick and span and as comfortable as you possibly can. And no sooner than you turn around, uh, they soil the bed again. Uh, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't put themselves uh, in that position of their own accord, but yet they are there uh, and someone has to deal with it. And uh, the, the importance of that was uh, it, it's just absolutely never left me. And then on the other hand, uh, just by being in that environment, that ac academic environment, I was able to stand in the background and listen uh, while some of the most famous heart surgeons in the world uh, talked about cardiopulmonary physiology and uh, the conduct of operations and the conduct of the postoperative care uh, and things of that nature. It was a great stimulus to me to understand that I would always be learning. Right. So it was a great experience that year. 
Yeah, I can see how that that became fundamental and continues to in the throughout the course of your career. Yeah. That uh, I, I really, I, I mean, you can tell me what was the reason why you wanted to get into uh, medicine to begin with, though, because you had mentioned it was something you always wanted to do. Yeah, uh, I wish I wish I had a straight answer to that. I'm not really sure. Okay, uh, I was. Uh, I can tell you that I remember. Uh, being fascinated uh, with what was going on uh, in the doctor's office when I had to go there uh, as a patient. Uh, I even mm -hmm. spent a little time uh, when I was, I think, nine years old in the hospital, what they used to call viral pneumonia back then. Oh, uh, yes. So, uh, you know, you're, you're too young to intellectualize what's going on, but nonetheless, uh, I was fascinated with it. And later on, I became uh, fascinated with television dramas about medicine, Dr. Kildare and Ben Casey and all those guys. <laughs> Love it. Uh, so uh, that's where my curios curiosity came from. And then, as I say, uh, I started a, uh, an educational process uh, designed to get me in medical school without having any idea of what practicing medicine was all about. Uh, that year, as an orderly, uh, cemented it for me. I knew that that was exactly where I wanted to be. I love that. And I think that's a big reason why we we tend to get into healthcare as providers um, is just down to that compassionate care and to help someone else out. And I, I do find there's a common theme there, Randy, where people have either experienced um, personally um, themselves an issue with their health that kind of made them think about getting into medicine or healthcare to begin with, or they knew somebody who had an experience and they wanted to just they were more fascinated by it or they wanted to improve it uh, for generations to come. And, uh, I've seen it over and over and over again. One of the uh, earlier guests uh, on my podcast uh, was a gentleman who is uh, currently uh, the uh, chief nursing officer at a big hospital in Ohio. And uh, he uh, described how being a patient uh, as a youngster uh, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, interacting with the people in the hospital and being so impressed uh, with the way they cared for him and uh, uh, looked after him, made a big impact on him, and he just decided that's what he wanted to do. Love that and give and, back. And you know that's that's one example, but uh, uh, yeah, I've seen it in a lot. Now, unquestionably, you run in from people from time to time. Not not everybody uh, in the world of medicine uh, is a preciously altruistic soul. There are some people that get into it because they think that's uh, a way to make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, in my experience, they turn out to be very unhappy people. But for the most part, uh, the, the great majority of people that, that I have run into in my clinical life anyway uh, are people who have exactly that, uh, that warmth in their soul that makes them want to make life better for other people. Yeah. And so how long did you practice for? I know you're not directly in medicine now, mm -hmm. right? Uh, 44 years, but who's counting? <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing. <laughs> so, okay, that is amazing. Like, thank you so much for all you've done and you continue to do. And I, I have to ask, like, my desire for this episode was to kind of chat about career pivot and career change. And can you just tell me right now, when you look at the healthcare landscape and where we're at right now, um, why this might be an important topic with everything going on? Two reasons. Uh, one thing that I learned uh, in my 
more than four decades as a practitioner is that the medicine that you practice today is not the medicine that you will practice in 10 years mm-hmm. uh, and maybe even five years. Uh, the whole landscape and, and how we think about disease, or at least many diseases, uh, is going to change. Best example that I can think of in that regard is that when I was doing my surgery training, we thought that peptic ulcer disease uh, was due to a mysterious derangement that caused a person's stomach to uh, secrete too much acid Mm -hmm. uh, that ate away at their gastric lining, and that was where ulcers came from. Well, now we know that it's an infectious disease, and it can be cured with an antibiotic. Mm -hmm. And there have been all kinds of uh, dramatic uh, scientific changes along the way. And it's, uh, I mean, it's a bit of a struggle. It means that you have to stay on top of your game in order to remain relevant. Uh, with that change in science going on around you. But for me, uh, the greater struggle came with respect to uh, the uh, non-medical side of the business. We like to think that we are profoundly different in the U.S. as opposed to Canada. I don't really think the difference is, uh, is as great as some people would think. I agree. But that part of it uh, has, has just been huge, and particularly for physicians. At the time that I started practicing, the great majority of physicians were uh, in private practice. They were either in a solo practice or in a small group uh, where uh, the decision-making was always 100% in their hands. And today in the U.S., the the majority of physicians are employed. Mm -hmm. And when you become an employee, your world really changes because your employer, although they may give lip service to the fact that you have a special gift and a special educational background uh, and that you're well-trained in the healing arts, for your employer, you're overhead. Mm -hmm. It's true. And that changes the entire landscape. It changes the way you think about what your experience is going to be like when you go to work. And it was very hard for me. I'm, I'm not uh, sure. In fact, I think I, it would be more honest for me to say that I never properly adapted to that. And, and, I, and I was never, from the standpoint of uh, uh, the service that I, I provided, I never was an employee. I, I, I closed my surgery practice about 10 years, I guess, before I finally stopped practicing. Uh, and so I was, gen- I was generating patient revenue by taking care of patients. Mm-hmm. But as the medical director of the World Center where I was working, I owed a certain obligation to the hospital, and they began to make life difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I-, I did not adjust well at all. It's so challenging, I find, balancing that. Like as a direct care clinician myself, so I work in hospital. I love direct care, but I also... Sure want to be part of change and, you know, progressiveness. And I think a lot of healthcare providers have that desire to impact in some ways. And some are fine with just, you know, just providing direct care and going home at the end of the day, perhaps and doing it all over again. But I think that sometimes when when that calling is a little bit on both sides, I think that's where, like you said, it becomes more about the non-clinical, that becomes more of the stressor. um, And it's it becomes hard to balance. It's caused a lot of people to have to make some 
uh, dramatic changes, particularly uh, in this country, in the U.S. The most dramatic thing that I have seen among uh, uh, primary care physicians uh, is that they're just uh, separating themselves from that world altogether. They're doing a thing called direct primary care. Mm. they uh, go in business for themselves. They accept some uh, number that they decide upon who are their subscribers. Uh, and they agree to, to always be available uh, for that person and or their family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there, there is no oversight from a hospital or any healthcare organization. Uh, and the ones that I have spoken to, uh, one in particular that I've had on my podcast, uh, are happier than just about anybody I've seen in the healthcare world today. I was just going to say, I've interviewed a few therapists or allied health professionals too, who've done that as well, who've just gone completely on their own, completely just private. And, um, you know, it's hard to get started and whatnot, but are just generally more happy and can expand themselves more and do other things and that they kind of desire as well. Is that when you decided to go into coaching? And like, at what point did you get into that space? (laughs) Because I mean, again, we get into healthcare to provide medicine and whatnot, but we end up doing so many things. I I would like to tell you that I'm just loaded with wisdom and I knew exactly what to do. (laughs) But uh, the truth is, uh, it was really uh, a happy accident. I mentioned Rhonda Crow, who uh, is the founder and CEO of MD Coaches. I had known Rhonda for a number of years. Uh, I had uh, worked on the educational faculty for a huge uh, chronic wound care group uh, that managed many, many, almost a thousand wound care centers across the U.S. So we got to know each other, and uh, at some point, my hospital separated from that particular uh, management company, so I hadn't seen her for a while. Uh, but just when I had gotten into that phase where I was uh, really dissatisfied with uh, the day-to-day uh, agony of having to deal with uh, the people in the in, in hospital administration, uh, she called me from out of the blue, and she told me that uh, she wanted to start a company for the purpose of providing coaching services for physicians. And uh, she knew that I had a background in radio and wanted to publicize this coaching company with uh, a podcast, which was to be called Prescription for Success. And I thought, well, my goodness, uh, yeah, where do I sign? And and then there was the, oh, by the way, I'd like you to be a coach also. (laughs) Oh, wow. So I couldn't have one without the other, and uh, it was actually a very easy decision to me. But uh, you know, I, I was on the I was on the verge of uh, announcing my retirement from medicine uh, when I got that call. Wow! And, and knowing that I would have something that sounded like it should be uh, very interesting and very gratifying available to me in retirement, uh, it made it a lot easier to make that decision. But that's uh, that's wow. how podcasting and coaching came about. Wow, I love that story. I just think that was meant to be all of that. And you were I able to be all of so. it. Yeah, it was just a matter of timing. Um, so did you start coaching before the podcast? or did? No, we, we, we needed to attract some 
clients, first of all. And then in addition to that, uh, I needed to be trained. Mm. So uh, I took a course in coaching and uh, got myself uh, certified by the International Coaching Federation. Mm. And, you know, we, we started that preparation. Uh, and then uh, in the meantime, uh, we began to work on the plans for the uh, podcast. And uh, I, I was podcasting for quite a while before we had any uh, interested coaching candidates. Wow. I was just going to say, what were your feelings like at the time when you were making, that's a pretty big change, Mm -hmm. right? So what what were you feeling at that time? Like just hearing the tone of your voice, Randy, (laughs) just sharing the story, you were just, you, you seemed so lit up by it um, compared to when you were talking about being dissatisfied, (laughs) just something I observed, but is that how it felt or was, was there conflict internally there? Well, there was quite a bit of relief because I I never got tired of seeing patients. Right. And uh, I I think the only thing that really slowed me down in terms of uh, pulling the trigger on retirement is that, you know, I thought, what's going to fill that space? Mm -hmm. And this sounded like something that just might do it. And and it has. Uh, And I mean, in addition to other things, when you find yourself with uh, a lot of time on your hands, which is something that you don't do when you're practicing medicine day in and day out, uh, you find that you can fill the time fairly well if you just look around. This gave me a little guarantee, you know, a little insurance that that I was not just going to sit in a chair and rot. And uh, you worry about that. Right. When, when you when you walk away from a job that uh, has occupied you literally for 44 years, you worry a little. Yeah, I can imagine. And just nonstop. Uh, so what type of coaching is MD Coaches about? Is it for providers who are burned out? Is it to help manage stress? The answer, I think, is yes. Okay. Uh, the intent, uh, we, we call it executive coaching. Uh, and the idea is... Uh, We would like to be able to help physicians really take control of how healthcare is delivered. Uh, And as I mentioned before, one of the things that you don't learn in medical school, and you don't learn it uh, in in, uh, clinical training of any sort, is the more executive skills. Mm -hmm. Uh, when, When you're in the uh, healthcare training environment, the notion in your head or the mindset that you have is uh, th- that you know what's right and you always do what's right. Mm-hmm. You don't anticipate that there are going to be roadblocks. And mm-hmm. when you come into those roadblocks uh, and, and you discover, uh, as I said before, that uh, the person who is in charge of giving you a job doesn't really see you so much as a healer as they do see you as overhead. It's a bit of a shock. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I'm going to admit openly and without shame when I found myself uh, in that position, uh, I reacted rather badly. I didn't communicate well. Um, I was more like a spoiled child kicking and screaming, trying to get things done the way that they should be done. Uh, And I think uh, you and everybody that hears your podcast probably realizes exactly what that'll get you. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, it it, it really is not helpful. So uh, the big mission behind uh, MD coaches is that we would like to help people who uh, would like to uh, develop 
some executive skills uh, and be able to uh, be a part of the decision-making process wherever they are practicing. Uh, perhaps we can help them do that. Then the other thing is that some people, perhaps they've been in clinical medicine for a while and they'd like to do something different. Maybe they mm -hmm. would like to work in industry. Uh, maybe they would like to work in charitable ventures uh, where, again, where those sort of executive skills uh, would be important. Uh, and we can uh, help develop those skills. We can help people evaluate uh, the, the choices that are before them and help them make the decisions about uh, where their career could uh, could go to next. The, the nice thing about personal coaching is that the the person who is being coached, the client can decide what they want it to be. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the job of the coach is to be a good listener yeah. uh, and to reflect uh, for them uh, on their questions. Uh, not so much to give answers, but help them ask the right question. So that's what we do. Love that. Is it more one-to-one, -one, Randy? or Always. Always one-to-one, -one, which is great. And is it exclusive to only physicians? It is not. Uh, oh, okay. We would like to work with uh, anyone uh, in the healthcare community. Um, I, I know that uh, Rhonda struggled a bit finding a name for the company because she didn't want it to sound exclusive for physicians. Mm -hmm. But uh, we certainly think that we can be of assistance to people in the in anywhere in the healthcare uh, environment because uh, all of us have been there. Yes. Uh, all, all of the coaches are physicians. Love that. We've got that knowledge. Mm -hmm. We're all trained uh, as coaches. So oh. uh, we, we think we're, we're set up to uh, be of assistance to uh, any healthcare provider uh, in making that journey. And are you seeing any growth lately in this? Like, are you seeing more and more clinicians come through wanting yes. your coaching services? Yeah. So are you, okay, I, I expected that just yeah. what's going on in the world today. But, yeah. but uh, I've never, you're totally right. I love the concept of the coaching from the executive uh, state of mind because we don't mm -hmm. get that training. And like you said, I was in that position kicking and screaming. I became that toxic person <laughs> feeling right. unheard, right? I didn't like the person I was becoming when yeah. I you know, just because there things were not going in the way that I wanted them to go. Like you said, I was kind of overhead at the end of the day. Never Thank thought you of it for that helping way. me realize that I was not just an outlier. Yeah, no, definitely <laughs> not. And, you know, and that is part of the reason why I do this. And I have wonderful guests like you on here is because I think at some point, we all go through it. And I think if you're a reflective clinician or a provider, um, and you're, you critically think and you deeply care, like, I think these things just they're going to happen at some point and you know absolutely yeah and i think that's okay to expect <laughs> yeah. and so can you share with me um like a podcast guest of yours like some of the topics you chat about on prescription for success what we talk about is just about anything the idea is to uh interview uh physicians and, and other people in the healthcare industry and uh help them uh, spotlight the things that got them to the successful position that they're in by talking about uh, how we how they got there, mm -hmm. and, uh, and 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 I I typically start every single uh, episode with the question: uh, uh, 
what got you interested in medicine? Yes. And the, and the fascinating thing for me is uh, every answer is a little bit different. Yeah. And uh, uh, some people are, are like me and uh, kind of wanted to do it forever, and other people kind of stumble into it. Uh, mm-hmm. And the, uh, the variety of the stories is just fascinating to me. And then the other thing is we get to hear about people that have gone through some struggles. I mean, all of us that have been to medical school and been through residency training think we've had it tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've talked to people, uh, uh, a gentleman who is currently uh, one of the most widely regarded uh, uh, interventional vascular surgeons uh, or interventional cardiologists uh, uh, in the world. Uh, he actually grew up uh, in Lebanon during the Civil War of the 1970s, and he walked to school mm-hmm. every day with people being shot down before his eyes and uh, such horrors as that. Mm-hmm. Uh, with $80 in his pocket and uh, traveled to New York City. He didn't speak a word of English. Wow. Uh, the very next day, he was on the streets of New York selling umbrellas, uh, and, and he actually sold out his entire inventory, even though it wasn't raining. Uh, and, and that, you know, the, that story of persisting in the face of uh, that kind of uh, adversity is uh, just incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was another uh, gentleman uh, in Italy who is now the uh, one of the uh, upper level faculty at Tulane University in the Department of Pediatrics. Uh, he uh, grew up with working class parents uh, and struggled his way up the ladder and uh, was about to finish medical school, had a, uh, a surgery residency uh, uh, lined up for himself. And he discovered uh, that one of his mentors uh, was plagiarizing his work. Oh, my goodness. And he just decided he didn't want to be associated with somebody like that. So he just walked out on that residency. Wow. Uh, and yet, uh, he went on to become uh, one of the most widely regarded pediatricians uh, in certainly in the United States and perhaps the world uh, just because of his persistence. And uh, those kinds of uh, stories of determination, and they just, like I say, they keep coming. There's lots of them. Every one of them is different. Uh, yeah. And I never get tired of hearing those. Yeah, I love that. Me too, actually. <laughs> and I think it just <laughs> speaks to people's character, right? It's not about, again, yeah, 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 it's not just about the practice and the clinical pieces themselves or the knowledge. It's it's like you said, that persistence overall. Um, so what is your advice for someone right now, Brandy, who is feeling kind of like you felt at the time where you were just you know, dissatisfied, you felt like you had enough, essentially, considering resigning, but maybe don't have a plan B. Uh, What is your advice for those clinicians who might be struggling? I think the most important thing is to, uh, number one, realize that there's nothing wrong with you. You You're not, you're not unhappy where you are, because of something that you did or didn't do or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the second piece of advice is talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. Don't just uh, sit alone in the dark and turn it over in your head because it typically tends to seem more hopeless uh, if you do that. And it doesn't necessarily have to be um, a professional coach, uh, but at least have a conversation with somebody who will listen objectively and uh, give you the space to say what's on your mind. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And if you'll just start that process right there, uh, there is a good chance that you'll realize uh, you do have options and you don't have to give up and stop. Or uh, if you have done all you think you can do in uh, uh, clinical medicine, whether it be nursing or physiotherapy or, or, or brain surgery or whatever it happens to be, mm-hmm. a person of that sort, such as a coach, can help you uh, explore possibilities uh, and uh uh, give uh, objective evaluation to each one of those to see if you can come up with something that might uh, be better uh, for your particular stage in life. I mean, for myself, it's time for me to stop. You know, 44 years, that's yeah. enough. Yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, but uh, to just uh, be totally cut off from it, I didn't like that idea. And this has really given me uh a good way to uh, feel like I'm making a difference uh, in the world of healthcare delivery, but yet uh, not have to feel like I'm an employee and that I'm overhead. Right. Exactly. Kind of like, I guess, what you would have always imagined for yourself. Exactly. That's exactly right. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Randy. Tell us where people can follow you, the podcast, the executive coaching, all of it. Thank you for having me here, first of all. But yes, uh, our website is mymdcoaches.com. And uh, when you get on that website, uh, you can find uh, all of the contact information for me, uh, all of the contact information for everybody on our coaching staff, as well as Rhonda. And uh, again, it's uh, mymdcoaches.com. There is uh, a link uh, in the website where you can connect to my podcast, which is uh, Prescription for Success, or you can go to the pod- podcast website, which is rxforsuccesspodcast.com. It's on uh, you know, all the platforms <laughs> where you can get podcasts, but rxforsuccesspodcast.com is where I am, and we have a new episode every week. Beautiful. Thank you so much again for your time, for being here, and for having a greater impact post-clinical care. Thank Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Randy. So if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. Your feedback means everything to me. Your reviews are what moves this podcast forward, and I always appreciate receiving them. If you want to get a hold of me directly, reach out to me on social media. My handles are in the show notes, and you can always subscribe to my weekly newsletters at jennifergeorge.co so that we can stay connected. So until next time, thank you guys so much again for your ongoing support.